0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Good morning. I appreciate y'all being here. I know This third service keeps growing and growing, making me happy a little bit. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start a series today, an Easter series called Resurrecting. And I'm going to go ahead and get into that without much ado. I'm just going to start talking to you about that. Um, We're going to start a series titled Resurrecting. And if you'll notice by the graphic, there's a subtitle that says Love, Peace, and and hope. And this, this is what I hope to accomplish. I hope to accomplish first that we have an understanding that when we sinned, and we have all sinned, both by birth and by action, we are sinners, according to the word of God. When we sinned, love died in us. Peace died in us. Hope died in us. This was a promise that there would be death when we sinned. In Genesis 2, 17, we read this. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And in fact, we died that day. We were separated from God, his love, his peace, and the hope that we ever had of spending eternity with him in a perfect place, in a perfect condition. Except that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to us. Hallelujah indeed. When Christ was sent to us, listen, in his life, by his sheer example of his birth and his perfection, we have exampled to us what perfect love looks like. In his death and what happened because of his death, the fact that we are no longer at enmity with God, we're no longer in conflict with God, that he came to reconcile us to God, we now have peace where peace was once dead in us. Amen? And because he was buried and rose again on the third day, that hope of an eternal future that was dead in us is forever alive in the believer. And so we have a resurrecting, and I use the word resurrecting in the present tense because these things should be continually growing in us. A resurrecting love in us, a resurrecting peace in us, and a resurrecting love in us. Not because anything that we did, but because of what Christ did, having been sent by the Father on our behalf. Amen? And so I want to start talking to you about that today with the first one, resurrecting love. And I'm going to do that from chapter 4, 1 John, starting in verse 7. So 1 John 4, verse 7, and I'm going to teach today through verse 14. It said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows him. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, and believe me and trust me, according to his word, he did did and he does, We also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Amen. I've got three points I want to make today about resurrecting love. And I was going to say they're short and simple, but they're neither of those things. Um, so I need you to, to listen intently. The first one, love is resurrected in its source. Love is resurrected in its source. Verses seven through eight. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is From God. That means from, that's the source of the love that we have. It comes from God. And everyone whose love is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let there be no doubt. This is a text of action, not intellect. He's not asking you to sit around and think about whether you should love somebody. He's telling you, love somebody. The very first half of this first sentence in verse seven says, beloved, let us love one another. This is the thesis statement for all that he says after that. This is the main idea. This is what he wants you to understand. Brothers, beloved, love one another. Beloved, love. Love one another. What is a beloved? A beloved is a family member. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And we should treat each other like family members. We should love one another like family members. He's saying, listen, family members, love one another. Any of y'all got people in your family that y'all, that dude's a weirdo. I may be the weirdo in my family. But you know what? You love the weird cousin the way you love your favorite uncle because they're still the same family. Sometimes cousins during Thanksgiving, they go outside and they hit the tree line and they fight, they get mad at each other, they work it out, they come back in. But by the time they get back into grandmama's house, they better be showing love to one another. You know why? Because they are of the same family. He's saying, listen, you're of the same family. Love one another. This is an action. We have to start taking responsibility for the love that we have. Amen? And when I say have, I mean that specifically. The Bible says if you belong to God, you have love in you. So how do we love unless we know what kind of love God showed us? There's four different kinds of love mentioned in the scripture. There's stergio, a natural affection towards relatives. There's phileo, the love between friends. There's eros, an erotic emotion felt between two lovers. And there's agapeo, or agape, as most of us would hear it said, which is the kind of love that God has for us. That agapeo love. Let me define this for you simply. It is a love that prefers another so much that it's willing to provide for them. I want you to rest under the weight of that for a minute. That's beautiful. We often hear it called unconditional love. Regardless of what you title it or what you call it, it is a love that prefers someone enough to provide for them. That should be encouraging to you today. You know why? Because God prefers you. He prefers you. He loves you so much that he is determined to provide for you. It's not enough to just, you know, I prefer that guy. He's pretty cool. Hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? No, I'm not going to give you 20 bucks. You prefer, but you don't prefer to provide. God prefers to provide for those who belong to him. And what has he provided for us? He's provided us the hope of an eternity through Christ Jesus. He said, I'm going to send my son, my only begotten son, to you that you might have the hope of eternal life. So that you're, Not so that he can judge you because you've already been judged, but so that you might be saved from judgment. I'm paraphrasing 3, 16, 17, and 18, but that's what it says. We are condemned to judgment, but God sent Jesus. He prefers us enough to provide for us. Not just in Christ Jesus, but everything that we have because of Christ Jesus. He prefers me enough to provide peace where I was anxious. He prefers me to provide finance where I was struggling. He prefers me to provide comfort in a relationship that's gone sideways. He provides for me because he prefers me. And when I say me, I mean us. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten his promises over you. He's always provided for you. He's met your need. He may not have met your want, but you know what? I can't find anywhere in the scripture where he says he's going to meet give you everything you want. He says I'm going to give you what you need. All I tell you to do is worry about lilies because the lilies don't worry about anything. Amen? He's a God that loves enough to provide for us. And I think that's beautiful. That's the love we're talking about. This kind of love that gave us Jesus. This kind of love that is from God because God is love. When I say God is love, I mean he is love in his essence, in everything that he is. He is love. Did you know all the perfections of God? He is 100% perfectly all of them. As much as we want to talk about the mercy of God, as much as we want to talk about the grace of God, the provision of God, the, the, all of his attributes, provision is not actually an attribute, but all of his attributes, his love is as much a part of His essence as His compassion and mercy is. He loves us because He is love. He can't do anything else. Now that doesn't give you excuse to sin because He loves you enough to want you to be righteous, but He loves you. In fact, he's not only the essence of love, he's the source of love. Everything that is love flows through him because everything that is created was created by him. Amen? Colossians tells us in 1.16, for by him all things. Everybody say all things. All things, all things, all things. I love verbiage that doesn't leave me questioning what it means. It doesn't say by him some of the stuff, but I can't tell you which stuff. It says all things. Love is a thing. That means all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I want you to think about this verse for a minute. By him, through him, for him, which means he was the author of it by him, through him, that means he is the completion of it. And for him, which means it is for his satisfaction. And since it's our desire, it should be every believer's desire to satisfy him. Every believer should pursue the love that he is. I did, I hope you heard the verbiage. I didn't say pursue his love. Although we should do that. We should pursue the love that he's provided for us. And that's good. Because if we don't love, we prove that we don't belong to him. I'm going to read you some of this. People don't like this. But further into the text, I'm not going to teach past or this far, but in verse 20, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Some of y'all staring at me like you didn't hear me, so let me read it again. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, I can see y'all, physically with my eye, cannot love God whom he has not seen. I'm not much for checklist Christianity. In order to be saved, you got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And this, and they put so many rules and regulations and legalistic ideologies in your head that you don't know whether you're coming or going. But you know what? There are indicators regarding whether or not you belong to God. And one of the greatest indicators, I'd say the initial indicator, is the love that you have for one another. Because if you say you love your brother who you can see, and you don't, you're a lie. If you say you love God, but don't love your brother, you're a liar. A liar. The Bible calls you a liar. I don't like that. This is supposed to be an Easter series. Easter series, I'm supposed to wear pink and feel good about myself and hunt Easter eggs and stuff. I don't care about any of that. You know what I care about? That you're blameless and pure before the judgment seat of Christ, at the white throne throne of judgment. I want you to be able to look God in his face and say, I'm here because Jesus' love said I could be here. which means that we have to turn ourselves away from all the other things that we would tell ourselves. which means we have to walk in the truth of what that love means. That love tells us what it is we're responsible to, what we're responsible to accomplish, what we're responsible to avoid. So many of us want to define love on our own terms, but we can't do it. The world wants you to define their term of love more. Let me put it this way. The world expects you to be okay with their definition of what love is. And you shouldn't be. If the world says it's okay for you to sleep with your girlfriend unmarried, the Bible says different. It's not okay. If the Bible says don't be a homosexual, that's what it means and it's not okay. Those are perversions of love. You know how I know? Because it's against the illustration of scripture. God illustrates love for us, and his love is not perverted any kind of way, and I don't mean sexually perverted. I mean maligned any kind of way, There are people who will enter the kingdom of God and there are people who will not enter the kingdom of God. And it's our responsibility to tell them in love the truth of that that statement. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Let me just get in on this. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Because y'all, man, you get them homosexuals. You get those fornicators. You go, Pastor Jim. I'm going to hurt the rest of y'all's feelings too. Because don't we do that? We want to take our freedom and push it off on somebody else and act like our sin's okay? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous. Wait a minute, the covetous? That's not really that big a deal. I'd just like to have what he has. Yep, nope, that's a big deal. That's listed right up there with the homosexuals you hate so much. I'm trying. Nor drunkards, nor revilers. You know what a reviler is? Someone that's always causing some problems with somebody. A disunifier. You in the church and you're walking around going, Man, can you believe Sister So and so dressed like that? She's showing her knees. That's a reviler. Someone creating dissension for no other purpose than to be creating dissension, to be disunifying to the body, is unrighteousness. And unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is in an all encompassing list. This list goes on and on and on. Why do I tell you that? Because we don't get to define anything in Scripture. We define it according to Scripture. And the Bible defines what love is. And that love is God. That love is God. Ah, oh, it's good. Amen. Number two. Love is resurrected in its sacrifice. If first we recognize its source, we then have to recognize its sacrifice. Verses 9 and 10 read like this By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God made love possible in us. He manifested it according to this. This, that the love of God was manifested in us. You know what that means? If we belong to God, it should be put on display in us. To manifest something is to bring it forth, to put it on display. Because God lives in us, that love should be on display in us and on us. People should look at us and know exactly who we are, exactly who we belong to because of the love that is in us. How is this possible? How did we even come across this kind of love? Because God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. We can manifest the love that we have because we have an example of what love looks like and that Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth. Remember I told you, love, the life of Jesus Christ in his ministry is an example of perfect love to us. You wanna know what love looks like? Read the gospels. Read the life of Jesus Christ. I promise you, because God is love, he never did anything unloving. You're all, well, he did some stuff that looked unloving. Well, that's just because your definition of love is jacked up. Because if you say, my God would never blank, and that blank contradicts what the word of God says, then you're not serving the God of the Bible, you're serving the God that conveniences you. That's good. But he sent his son so that we might live through him in this love. Not that we loved God because we didn't love God. We didn't have the ability to love God. We had no understanding of what that was. We were blind to the truth, dead in our trespasses according to the word of God. We were absolutely decrepit in regards to what love was but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. How is it we come into relationship with him? How is it that we manifest love? We manifest love because Christ became the propitiation for our sins so that we might be able to. And I know some people think, man, propitiation, that's a big word. I don't even know what that word means. Why are you talking big words? It just means to appease. Jesus came to appease. God for the sake of our sin. And he did that two ways. He did that as a substitution for us and to absorb the wrath of God for us. Did you know the place on the cross was ours? Did you hear what I said? The penalty of sin is death, which means the cross belonged to us. But the holy God come down from heaven, born of a virgin, lived perfectly for 33 and a half years, walked in perfectness, never sinned, took on our sin and crawled upon the cross that we deserved, so that we would never have to stand or crawl up on that cross ourselves. So we would never be separated from God. You want to know what love is? It's a God that says, move out of the way, son. I got this. Because that's what he did for us. That's what love looks like. That's what love should look like in us. Move out of the way, son. I got this. You need help? Let me help you. You need someone to be there for you? Let me be there for you. You're struggling? Let me help you through your struggle. It's the importance of church family. But more important, it's the importance of church folk. Because the world is dying and going to hell, except that they see love in you. So he became our substitution, but he didn't just substitute himself because he could have crawled up on the cross, been killed, could have been stabbed, could have done any number of things that would have killed him, and probably a lot faster than how he died. But he also absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus said, I don't want to take this cup. You know what he was talking about? He wasn't talking about he he wasn't thirsty. He was talking about, I don't want to take this cup of wrath because he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. And you know what was coming? A horrible death. His love absorbed God's wrath for us. Which means every crack of the whip he took for us. Every splitting of his skin He took for us. Every drop of spittle on His face was taken for us. Every hole pierced in His skin from the crown, from those nails in His hands and feet, and that spear should have been for us. Every step he took, every piece of gravel that ground into his bare feet, as he drug that cross to Golgotha. As excruciating as that must have been to feel that rough-hewn timber against that freshly shorn back, he took for us so that he might be the propitiation for us. You know what love is? You know what agapeo love is? It's a love that prefers enough to provide. That's exactly what he did for us in Christ Jesus. He provided an avenue of escape for us so that we might stand before a righteous God, a holy God, righteous and blameless, not because of our work, but because of the work that Christ Jesus did washed pure, washed clean. Not because of our own action, but because of his action. That's love. That's what God did for us. And let me tell you, because he did all of those things for us, according to his word, because he did all of those things for us, love should be resurrecting in us. First, the love that I have for God, I find to be increasing. I tell you, I was, I was alive the day I got saved. But with every new piece of God that I learn, I feel more alive. I am more excited. I am more ready to be in his presence. Every little thing I learn about heaven and what he has prepared for me, causes me to anxiously yearn to be in his presence. So that love grows in me. But that also should grow from me. It says in verse 11 through 14, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know why he revisits that? Because that's exactly what he he says in verse seven. He revisits that because he already said, listen, you have the source. You've had the sacrifice, but now I'm gonna give you my spirit so that you might be able to love other people the way that I loved you. And he continues, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We are called to abide in God, which means rest in God, which means deplete ourselves of our own will, our own motivations, our, our own conformity to the worldly things. We're supposed to rid ourselves of all of those things and just rest in who God is, abide in who God is. And as we abide, we become perfected. And as we become perfected, we begin to bear abiding fruit. John 15 tells us that when you abide, you produce fruit. Amen? Guess what the fruit is? The fruit is love, the fruit of the Spirit. If you'll go to Galatians chapter 5 and read the fruits of the Spirit, you're going to see several of them listed, or all of them listed. But it starts with love. And I don't know if they're in order or not, but I will tell you that it's impossible to be any of the other if you don't first have love. It's impossible to be patient. It's impossible to be long-suffering. It's impossible to be any of those things if you aren't first a person of love. And that only happens when you abide, according to fifteen four of John. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I don't know about you guys, man, but i I want to give the love that I've been given. I think that's why God put us here why God left us here. You've heard me say this before, several of you. I believe it's why God left us here after we, after he saved us, is to show other people the love that he showed us so that they could know him too. I mean, otherwise, what worldly good are we? Why wouldn't he just take us home? Because he expects us because of the spirit that he puts in us according to this text to show other people the love that we've been shown. God shows us love. We show others love. God, us, and through us, others, and through them, others, and through them, others, and through them, others. Twelve people turn the world upside down. Launch Point Church can do the same thing because the kingdom of God grows by multiplication, provided that multiplication is done in love. Because if I show two people Jesus this week and those two people show Jesus two people this week and those two those people show two people and the next people show two people, we've doubled Launch Point Church in less than a month's time. And I don't say that because I want the church to be big, although I wouldn't be mad if the church was big. I say that because the kingdom of God grows big. Guys, we need to learn to love. We've been given God. We've been given access to God, and we've been given the spirit of God to be empowered to do it. As our love is resurrecting, always remember, it's not about us. One of the greatest lessons Pastor Rick ever taught me, it's not about you. He used to wake me up. So our phone would ring when we were small group leaders, and it'd be somebody at the hospital. We were part of the hospital ministry or actually we were small group leaders, so we were automatically part of the hospital ministry. Somebody would call, and somebody was at the doctor's office, two o'clock in the morning. And I'd call Pastor Rick, and I'd be like, hey, Pastor Rick, so and is at the doctor, it's two o'clock in the morning. He said, well, go. you gotta go to the doctor. And I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning. He said, that's not. Huh? Yeah, ain't about you, though. I said, well, can't it be about me one time? <laughs> you know? And he said, no. And he's right. It can never be about us. It's already been about us. Jesus made it about us so that we could make it about them so that they too might know the Jesus we know. Amen? Love one another, beloved family. Love one another. Let's pray.